Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, good morning, everyone. I note uh, that it was Valentine's Day this week, and none of you thought to remind me, share that with me. So some of us are not coming into Family Day maybe on the same level as everyone else. It's all right, though. You know, I pour my life into you guys every week, and nothing, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, actually, I actually even remembered Valentine's Day this year, and so uh, I managed to pull it off with a level of, of uh, acceptability. So I'm excited about that, and I'm, I'm excited about Family Day. I'm also excited about this uh, series that, that we're in. We're continuing in a series where we're walking alongside FBC kids, and we're taking on the same lessons that they're taking on week by week in FBC kids in the program there. And as I mentioned last week, our hope is that as we engage in the same topics, that that will help foster us as parents and as grandparents, even as just adults with kids, the ability to speak into their lives and help them grow in their faith, even as we grow in ours vis-a-vis the same messages, same lessons. And so we want to try and do what we can to ignite a, 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 a faith and, and, a, and, a, and a desire to follow God in our kids. So important. We want to stimulate them. We want to facilitate that faith. And so we were excited about this idea of doing this series. And with that in mind, we also want to just remind you that we're here to help you with that as well. Some of us look at this and we kind of think to ourselves, oh, I don't even know how I would begin to do some of this stuff with my kids. And so we've got some resources. We've got some tools to help you along with that. And so if you are here in person with your kids, then each week in the program, they will send you home with a parent cue, which is really just a cue as to how to engage with your kids about what they're learning uh, in their lessons and, and in what we're learning in the same lessons this month anyway. And they also get a Devo sheet, which you can work with them over the course of the week in doing their Devo sheet. And there's a, a memory verse that will be on that. And just an Reminder there, if you help your kids learn those memory verses and they come back and, and they uh, give those to their leaders, then they get a sticker on their chart and then as they get their chart filled up, then each group gets a prize and they're really kind of cool prizes and I'm motivated by prizes, so I think that that, um, that might be an incentive for them, so don't miss out on that. And at the same time, for those of you that aren't here in person, week to week or what have you, as things come up, and so on and so forth, then these resources are also available for you online. You can go there and you can get that same parent queue. You can get the uh, different um, activity uh, pages that are, or page that's there. You can also get the, the um, uh, lessons, the video lessons and the music there. So you can download all of that and um, take advantage of that as, at home as you're not able to be with us. One last thing too, 
is um, I just want to remind you again, maybe you haven't been here in person, when you come, there's a, a parent resources wall in the foyer, just out actually behind the sanctuary here, full of great information that helps you understand the levels that your kids are at and how to engage with them, what's important to them at those stages, and so on and so forth. That's all available there, so just help yourself to that for the, uh, the kids that are in your world, and then you'll just be that much more able and prepared to, to try and interact and help them to grow in their faith. So wanted to remind you of that this morning. Let's take a moment, we'll pray, and then we're going to dive into today's lesson. So if you would, bow your heads with me, and let's just talk to God. Father, this morning, on this Family Day weekend, we do say thank you for family. Thank you for the gift that that is to us. And Lord, I pray that um, as our hope has been, that you would be helping us to engage with our kids in their faith, that you would be helping us to come alongside them and to draw them into a relationship with you and that you would help us to facilitate that process in their hearts and in their minds. That you would do the same for us, Lord, even as we do the same lessons, as we tackle these same objectives over the course of this month. That you would stimulate us as well, that we would be able to lead them by example. And so this morning we just entrust ourselves to that same objective and that same end and ask that you would work in and amongst us. And Lord, at the same time, this morning, I recognize that as we come into Family Day, there are some that are struggling in their families this year for different reasons. I think of the Larsons, I think of the Namiers, I think of Ron Johnson and Hope and others. And again, I would just pray that you would come alongside them and that you would care for them, that you would watch over them, and that as they struggle in their immediate families, that we as a church family could be of service and of assistance to them, even as we pray for them and as we come alongside them and encourage them and so on. And may they know your love today through us, others as well. We pray these things now all in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. All right. So this morning, we are going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000 as Christ performs this miracle where he feeds 5,000 people. And our bottom line for today, and this bottom line for the kids as well, is that we should use what we have to help others. There's our bottom line, that we should use what we've been given, what we have, to help others. And so before we turn to that specifically... I want to actually just speak to a point that Bruce brought up in week one when he talked about the fact that we like to read about the miracles, don't we? We like to read about them. But the miracles are there to actually motivate us to action. They're to spur us into action. They're not just there for our information. So as much as we want to read about them, and we like to read about them and sit back and just kind of contemplate that, we need to understand that the miracles are drawing us in. They're encouraging us to take action in our lives, not just to consider them, not just to understand them, but to spur us on to act. And so if we take these things merely as information, I'm afraid that one day we're going to be really sorely disappointed sadly mistaken, maybe horrified, devastated at having missed out what was actually intended for us in these things. James 2, verses 14 to 17 says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has 
no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This morning we need to understand that as Jesus calls us to follow him, he is not just asking us to think like him. He's asking us to be like him, to act like him. So we have to absolutely think like him, but we can't just let it stop there. We need to act like him, that as we understand him, that that should motivate us then to move with him, to be like him. So we need to be aware of that. And this morning, as it pertains to these lessons that we're going through right now, we have to be really careful here, I think, because there's a danger this morning that as we take a look at these topics, that, for example, we should show others that they matter, like we talked about last week, that, that this morning that we should share with others what we've been given, that we can look at those things and we can kind of say, well, that is kind of Sunday school, isn't it? Pretty elementary, got it. But the, the thing about this series is that it is calling us to action. Just not, not just to believe, but to act. And so we need to keep that in mind. Our faith, our faith is a faith in action or it is no faith at all. Our faith is a faith in action, or it is no faith at all. We have to keep that in mind, especially as we come to some of these simple little lessons that we learn and that we're learning over the course of this month. All right, so if you would, let's carry on now. Let's get at it specifically. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 15. 1 to 15, if you will. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. You can use your phones, that's all cool. And if you don't have your phones, then by all means, follow along with us on the screen. Online, it will be provided for you there too. So let's go. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy food for these people to eat? Now, this is the, a parable, of, or the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it's an account of feeding of the 5,000. We need to just stop for a minute here and understand that this was potentially a crowd of maybe up to 20,000 people by the time you factored in women and children. Now, how many of you have been in Rexall Place? Some of us have been in Rexall Place. That, that can seat up to about 17,000 people, okay? So, depending on the configuration and so on and so forth. So, if you have been in Rexall Place and you've looked around there and seen kind of a crowd, 
That's what Jesus is looking at. These people are coming at him. There's a crowd coming at him, maybe up to about 20,000 people. And as we see from some of the other accounts in the other Gospels, that this was now stretching into a day. That is, these people were all arriving, then Jesus was teaching them, and so on and so forth. John doesn't mention it here, but he's, they've been with him for about a day, and so now they're sitting around, and they are hungry. This is a, a crowd of people that are hungry. So Jesus looks up, and he says to Philip, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get food for all these people to eat? Carrying on, verse 6, he asked this to Philip only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right. So now, as you know, and as you can tell, there's a whole ton of stuff that we could be talking about when it comes to this whole miracle. And we're not going to be able to, to dive into it today. For, for the, this morning, we're going to confine ourselves to the, the bottom line at hand, which is to say that we're to share what we have with others. And so sometime we'll maybe get a chance to come back and tackle some of the other things. But as we think about the big takeaway for today then, then let's look first of all at verse 4. We need to understand verse 4, which is kind of an odd thing in the middle here. John says to us in verse 4 that the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, as we talked about last week, we we have to remember that John doesn't write anything sort of willy-nilly, right? He's not just kind of writing for the sake of writing. He's writing with a purpose all the time. He wants us to be aware of things. And so as this whole account starts to happen, he points out this little line right in the middle that the Jewish Passover festival was near, which is to say then that he wants us to understand not just the time that this is happening vis-a-vis everything else in his account, in his gospel, not that he wants us to understand that it was even just spring, but he wants us to understand what's going on against a bigger theological backdrop here. That what is about to take place and what we're going to read about and understand, we need to, to filter through the eyes or through the lens of Passover, as it were, because Passover lends itself to us understanding this better. 
That as we understand Passover and as we understand what that's all about, we will now understand what we're to take away from this miracle for ourselves today in our own lives. So Passover is meant to help us find the bigger understanding of what's about to take place. Even bigger than the miracle of feeding 5,000 people or 20,000 as the case may be. Now, for those of us that aren't familiar with Passover, Passover was a time every year that the Jews celebrated their exodus out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, and so every year they had this time set aside where they would take and they would celebrate that occurrence, that, what had happened there. At Passover, the Jewish people were reminded, first of all, of Moses who was revered by the Jewish people because he was the one that God had used to come along and lead them out of slavery. That he had stood up, that he had led them, rallied the people, stood up face to face with Pharaoh and led them out of Egypt to the promised land or headed to the promised land. So he was a national hero of sorts, revered by the people. And the people, the Jewish people, reminded themselves and remembered Again, that God had saved them. That he had saved them, first of all, from their imprisonment in Egypt, but also that he had saved them then from the Pharaoh's army as he parted the Red Sea and allowed them to cross through on dry land. That he had saved them in so many different respects and called them out to be his people. Again, independent, free from the oppression of others. But Passover also wasn't just a, an historical event. It was also an event that pointed forward because the Jewish people also anticipated that he was going to deliver them, that God was going to deliver them even further. And most specifically at that point right then, as this is happening, that he, God was going to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans because the Romans had come in now and were occupying them and had sort of oppressed them, that they weren't free to be who God had called them to be, and they weren't free to be who they wanted to be. And so they were anticipating that God would deliver them yet again from this, and that ultimately they were going to be His people completely. And so we see this a little bit um, as we get to verses 14 and 15. Passover was a, a time that was charged with national pride and patriotism. Okay, and so we need to understand that there is that energy that was going on at that time as well. That the Jewish people were remembering and they were looking forward to and they were kind of getting stoked up about the fact that God was going to save them and deliver them and they wanted to be delivered from these Romans. They wanted to put them in their place. And so as Jesus, at the end of this section of Scripture, says that he's concerned that they were going to make him king by force, that's what's going on in the background. The people were looking for a political deliverer that was going to come along and that was going to lead them to their independence. And Jesus, that was not his mission. He was there not for political reasons, he was there for spiritual reasons. And that, that would become apparent in short order as he goes on from here soon to the cross. So Passover is this backdrop against this miracle then. And John wants us to factor that into our understanding. But there's another aspect of Passover that John also wants us to understand as we come to this miracle this morning. 
there was another aspect that he had in mind. And for that, we need to start and look at verses 5 and 6. There it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, all these people, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then John narrates there, adds a little, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus sees these, pe- these people coming, and he turns to Philip and he says, where are we going to get enough bread for all these people to eat? And it's a test. So first of all, as we encounter this, we need to understand that now, it's not just John that's trying to point us to Passover. It's not just John's kind of an idea that he's adding to the script here, but actually this whole idea was precipitated by Christ himself, that he was drawing the connection. And, and John does us the favor of adding that little verse ahead of time, verse 4, where it was about the time of the Passover festival. So he just puts it right in there, so we've got to trip over it. Because for you and I today, we probably would have missed this. But he asked this of Philip as, as a, a test. Now, as we look at this, we need to understand that the word used here as test, we need to understand as kind of as a teaching moment, not so much a test where he's going to be graded on it or something like that, and not something that, that um, uh, you know, Jesus was trying to trip him up so that he would fail. But this was, Jesus saw what was going to happen here. He knew what was going to happen because he knew what was going to happen. This didn't catch him by surprise. Like John says, he knew exactly what he was going to do. So he says to Philip, though, and he sees, sees this opportunity. So he asks Philip the question, where am I going to get all this food? Where are we going to get all this food to feed these people? And he's trying to make Philip think. He's trying to get Philip to connect the dots. He wants us to connect the dots as well today with what's going on. The question, though, to Philip, and even to you and I today, was a huge hint as to the answer. Okay, so this isn't sort of out of the blue even for Philip, good Jewish boy. The question in in and of itself, was a clue as to what the answer was. Because back in Numbers, the book of Numbers, Moses asks a very similar question of God. It's phrased very similarly. Numbers 11, verse 13, it says, Moses going to God says, where can I get meat for all these people? Now, the context then was, this was just when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. And they were starting off into their wandering in the desert. And they'd been being fed miraculously by God with manna. But sort of like me, I might be part Jewish. Um, They wanted some meat, right? They wanted some meat. I can identify with that. They started to grumble, which wasn't what they were supposed to do. So they're getting agitated. They want meat. And Moses looks around. and, And that wasn't just like, 15, 20,000 people. That was hundreds of thousands of people. And he goes to God and he says, like, where am I going to get meat for all these people? Jesus comes to Philip and he says, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Ding, ding, ding. Connect the dots. 
Because what happened then in the story then, and, and as what Philip would well know, was that God came and he showed up. And he provided meat in no short order for the people. And you need to read that story because it very, it's very interesting. God wasn't pleased, but nevertheless, as the people were whining about food, whining about meat, God shows up and he demonstrates, you want meat? You want meat? I'll give you meat. So go back and read that story, back in Numbers. So there's the context. There's the connection. It was a test for Philip. And unfortunately, Philip fails the test. Largely like we do, right? As we come to this piece of scripture, we don't connect the dots. We don't realize the connection with Passover. We, we don't see it through that lens. And here's the thing. This is what Jesus was really pointing to in Passover. As much as Passover was when they remembered that they had been delivered out of slavery and so on and so forth, Passover was this huge demonstration to the people that God was there. That he was with them. And that he would provide for his people. And we see that over and over through Passover. That God is saying, I am here. And I'm here to look after you. And I will provide for you. You need not worry. You need not be afraid. I am with you. I will provide for you. As you follow me, as you seek me, then I will look after you. God had provided for them. He had delivered them from slavery. From out, out from under Egypt's hand. Out under Pharaoh's thumb. He provided for them, again, a way through the Red Sea. He provided for them the manna, and he provides for them this meat that herein Jesus connects the dots with, with the same question that Moses had asked of God when the people started to grumble back then. So Jesus here is nurturing Philip along in his understanding. Okay, Jesus pulls him aside and he says, Hey dude, pay attention here. Think back. Remember Moses asking God about where he's going to get all the food. Now watch what's going to happen. He's doing the same thing for you and I today. As we see this account, Jesus is coming alongside of us and he's saying, Hey Doug, pay attention buddy. You need to see something here. I want you to understand who I am and what I'm up to. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I can provide for you. I can look after you. We miss it though. Philip misses it. We miss it. So Jesus goes on to do this miracle where he takes five small barley loaves and a couple of little fish and he feeds a whole bunch of people. Just magnifies it expands it to the point where there's leftovers. After they'd all had as much as they wanted, they gather up the leftovers. Now you, you say this morning, why didn't Jesus then just tell us that he's the Messiah? Why is he making it so difficult? Like last week we talked about the fact that Jesus said to the woman at the well, Hey, I'm the Messiah. That's me. 
So why, why is he making it so difficult here? Why the test? Why doesn't he just come out and admit it? Just get to the point, straight to the point. Well, it's a good question. Maybe it was because of, of the setting that they were in. With the woman at the well, he had the opportunity to just talk to her one-on-one. Here, there's maybe up to 20,000 people sitting on the hill around him. So maybe that was a setting was an issue or something like that. Maybe it was what, on, a, on account of what we see in, in verses 14 and 15 where he was afraid that if he said that he was the Messiah, then everybody would definitely now with their mindset of a political deliverer that they would for sure crown him, take him by force and make him king. That that would somehow precipitate that political angle that Jesus wasn't interested in, that that wasn't his objective at all. So for whatever reason, he doesn't at that moment just tip his hand as to who he is. However, just outside of our scripture for this morning, if we go on down to chapter 6, verses 32 to 35, Jesus then does actually tell the same group of people who he is. So let's just drop down there for a minute. So it wasn't that he was trying to hide it. Because here's what he says later. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Just as he did then for the woman at the well. Now he comes along just a few moments later after a few things have happened. It's a good story. Keep reading. Go home and keep reading it. Disciples head out by boat. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. They head back across the lake. And the people wake up, find out, where, where is, they've all disappeared. So they come running around down to the, around the other side of the lake. And again, they're in it for the wrong reasons. They're, they're in it for all the miracles and stuff. They're in it for the goodies. They're in it for the show. And Jesus takes a moment then to clue the men in a little bit more directly. Hey, guys, you need to understand who I am. We need to understand who Jesus is today. So this morning, the question now becomes, well, how does this apply to you and I today? What relevance does it have to you and I? How does it factor into this bottom line that we should be using what we have to help others. Well, first of all, this morning, once more, we have to recognize that we can't do miracles. We're not Jesus. We're not God. We can't do miracles. But we can provide for others like Jesus provides for us. That as we encounter people that are in need, as we encounter those around us that are in need, that we can actually provide for them in the same way that Jesus provides for us. 
And so we can share what we have with others. We can take what we've been given and we can provide that to someone else in need this morning. And maybe even as we do that, maybe even as we do that, we'll get the opportunity as well to share with them who Jesus is, who God is, and what he's done for us. But regardless, whether or not we actually get that opportunity, we'll never know until we act. And so the question for you and I this morning becomes this. What are we willing to offer up for those in need? Are we willing to offer up our version then of the five small loaves and two fishes like the boy did, the young boy in the story? God's asking us today, Jesus is asking us today, are you willing to give up your five small loaves and fishes for someone around you that's in need, so that you can be like me, so that you can act like me and provide for someone like I provide for you. Where are we at on that today? Let me encourage you, if I could, from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. There it says this, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifice, God, sacrifices, God is pleased. This morning, as we think about the bottom line of using what we've been given, sharing it with others, helping others, don't forget to do good. Let's not just let this sit as information in our minds. Let's go out and do it. Let's not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And then here's the thing. One more thing beyond that. As we do, as we go out and we take what we've been given and we share it with those around us, those that are in need, then we will see that God still provides for us as well. There we'll see the miracle again as God comes along and provides for us all that we need so that we can continue to do like he does and care for others and provide for them. We'll see God in our lives. We'll see the miracle still that he can still take our little five loaves and fishes and he can expand them as far as we want to go in helping others. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago, back in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, we read this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Passover reminds us that God is a 
provider, our provider. You and I have the opportunity to experience that today because he's still in the miracle business of providing for his people. So let's go out and share what we have with those in need. Let's pray. Father, again today, God, you are so good. And God, it's just so cool to be able to look back and connect these dots. That as we study and think about you, that we see that you've provided for your people from the very beginning, that you continue to do that. And Lord, where we are selfish, please forgive us. Forgive us for hoarding, for thinking it's all about ourselves. Lord, help us to take the information that we have and to put it into action to make our faith come alive so that it's real faith, so that we can be your people, so that we can be like you. Help us to go out and care for others around us, Lord. And as we do, I pray that you would give us then opportunities to share with them who you are, the real provider, the true provider. And that beyond that, then we would grow in our faith as we see you miraculously provide for us. And I ask this now all in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. All right, well, thanks again for coming. Thank you uh, for listening. Have a really good family day long weekend and we'll look forward to the last of this series next week. I hope you're back with us.